It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Well, Jerry, here we are inside the Ichiro room at Safeco Field, episode 21 of the Wheelhouse Podcast. We'll be talking about, uh, boy, what a schedule it has been for the Mariners. We'll be talking about that, Gene Segura as well. But the front of the news right now, Mar- Jerry, for the Mariners, it's been, a, it's been a heartbreaking week, a difficult week for the Mariners. There's no question about that. You have been very aggressive, as has Scott, about addressing the media basically in every platform as to kind of what has happened with Robinson Cano. But as we kind of look forward for the ball club now, This is a team, Jerry, that has been right there in the cusp of first place almost since the get-go so far this season. How do you and Scott and the guys on the field kind of try to turn this forward and look towards into the All-Star break and then to the final stretch of the season? Well, we have no choice but to to look ahead. If you spend too much time in this game, sans looking back over the years and enjoying experiences you've had, if you spend your time looking in reverse during a Major League Baseball season, you're destined to fail. So obviously it's been a difficult week for us. We lose Robinson Cano for three months. Uh, Disappointing to all of us, we have to move on. And what it has done for us is given us perspective and, and some ideas on how to go about solving the void that this creates in our lineup, on our roster, in our clubhouse and the like while having to deal with the complicated uh, issue on the other end of it is managing what happens when Robinson comes back. So there are two distinct issues to solve here. And, and I think that's something that we need to, to pay attention to. Uh, 2018 is an important season to us. We believe in this team. We believe in this team as it's constituted now. And we believe that it needs help. Uh, and now we have a better idea of where some of that help needs to be. Fortunately for us, we have some versatility on this club. Guys like Guillermo Heredia, who can slide around the outfield and play them all. Guys like D. Gordon, who's been a gold glove second baseman, as well as, as well as being our center fielder this year. And we're going to take advantage of that versatility in the short term. Uh, you'll see D. Gordon come in and play second base as early as this weekend. You heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> you, will, you will see Guillermo Heredia spend a lot more of his time in center field, though not exclusively. I suspect you will see a few days where you're going to have a Mitch Hanniger center field day. And we're going to have to figure out here internally, especially over the short term, how to balance out our roster once those moves start to happen, particularly this weekend. We do have a, a host of outfielders who are performing well in Tacoma. And we've already started to knock on doors around the league for, for guys that may fit what we're trying to do. As we record this, we are hours away from Game 1 of this series against the Tigers. It is Thursday afternoon. This will be a pretty intense day, it sounds like, for, for D. Gordon prior to first pitch. Can you tell us what will be going on? Yeah, D. is going to actually get his first, well, I shouldn't say first, career. He's going to be the DH tonight, which is uh, probably not what you're expecting. You're <laughs> expecting a little more Nelson Cruz, you know, big poppy Daniel Vogelbach. Not necessarily D. Gordon, but... Uh, D will, I believe, lead off and, and be the DH tonight in lieu of Nelson Cruz, who will need another day to, to overcome the, the foot soreness. You know, hit with a pitch the other day. 
But uh, Dee's going to get a strenuous pregame workout today at second base. He's started two days ago, taking his ground balls and working around the bag. Uh, looked pretty easy for him. He he told Scott to give him five minutes. He'd be good to go. And uh, to credit to Dee, he wants to do the right thing for this team and to make sure we can move forward. As I said to Dee, and you know, he and Scott and I all sat and spoke uh, day before yesterday, and you know, Dee said, "Whatever the team needs, and uh, you know, I want to be the team's best center fielder, and and if you need me at second base, I'm, I'm, I'll do that." So you know, we're going to do that. We're going to bring him in and play some second base. It doesn't mean he's played center field for the last time. Perhaps even this year, that's a possibility. And we're going to keep our options open as to what we can do for this team, whether it be at second base or in the outfield. But, you know, D's versatility from the day we got him has been a huge part of who he is. And and his, his team first mentality really defines what this group of 25 is about. Now, might it have been in the conversation with you, Scott, and D, where D apparently told Scott that there's no need to shift anymore, that he can cover all the ground on his own? I got it. Uh, <laughs> I got it. I, I, and I believe what Wilman asked, you know, how long do you think it'll take you to acclimate back to the infield? D said, well, I haven't taken a ground ball since December 7th. Um, he said, I think I'll be good to go today if you want me to put me out there. You know, give me five minutes. And 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 I that, I love that. I love the confidence. I love the exuberance. He literally went walked out, threw on a t-shirt and shorts, and, and went out and started taking ground balls immediately, thinking why waste the time. So I know that we can go out and we can find outfielders who can help this club. I don't think we can find a second baseman that's better than D. Gordon. So to maximize our ability to to bridge the gap over these next three months and beyond. It's, we, we need to make sure that we're bringing in the players who can make the most impact. And right now for us, D makes the most impact as a second baseman. Yesterday and the day before, he made the most impact for us as a center fielder. And we just want to be open-minded about it. You know, Jerry, I'm excited, and I think a lot of the fan base also, to see a little more Guillermo Heredia, right? This is opening the door for Guillermo to play more. We saw the walk-off base hit a couple of nights ago in game one against Texas. He is an infectious player, right? You can He covers more ground than almost any outfielder you'll find in the American League. I mean, what are you hoping to see from Guillermo on a far more regular basis now? Well, what we'd love to see, we know and we've always known that Guillermo can play the outfield. He can cover a ton of ground. He's got an absolute hose. He, can, he throws as well as just about any outfielder in our league. You know, we, we would like to see consistency in his at-bats. And, you know, Guillermo historically has given you great at-bats versus left-hand pitching. Maybe a little exposed if you play him too often against right-handers. This year, he's done a very good job of, of handling those at-bats against right-hand pitchers and would like to see that extend out. If Guillermo can handle the right-hand pitchers, the rest of his skill set is absolutely everyday player. Uh, because he does, he does have a discerning eye. He's going to drive a, a count deep. He's going to be one of our better hitters in terms of pitches seen per plate appearance and has historically done that. We just need him not to get in the habit of chasing that ball off the dish or up over the zone against right-hand pitching. If he does that, the rest of the, the skill set is almost uh, truly almost all-star, like the defense and the, the ability to cover ground and the energy he brings to our team. If we can kind of veer down his path a little bit more, He's got a good path. Absolutely. And you were one of the first on it. And we we had a great talk last year with Tommy Allison about kind of the discovery of Guillermo Heredia. And I remember, Jerry, when, and a lot of Mariners fans will remember this too, when the news came out that the Mariners were signing 
a Cuban outfielder, right? I mean, you think of the stars in the game right now from Cuba, right? There was automatically this, who, oh, who is this? Who's it going to be? And how much money are the Mariners going to drop? Oh, what? They're going to just reach into their wallet and pull out a couple of bucks and sign some guy that we've never heard of who's glove over bat uh, and will start off in, what, double A, if I'm remembering this That's correctly? That's correct. Uh, he has blossomed to be the guy that we know right now and to be such a, a, a tremendous energy force for the Mariners. Can you kind of take us back to when you first learned of Guillermo and the path that you guys went on to bring him to Seattle? Well, when I first learned of him, it was actually just prior to my r- arrival in Seattle. It was the first time I'd ever heard of Guillermo Heredia. And, uh, and then I had to remind myself, I'd actually seen him play. He played for the Cuban national team during international tournaments, including WBC. Uh, so we had seen Guillermo in, in, in international play. I just didn't really remember it. And, you know, we had the opportunity in November of 2015, uh, after I had come to the Mariners, myself, Tom Allison, Tim Kisner, our international scouting director, we were down at the GM meetings in South Florida, and we went over and we watched Guillermo Heredia's workout. The almost comical in that they brought in some recently released pro pitchers to throw to, to Guillermo, all of which on a 20 to 80 scale in terms of command and control were about a negative 10. <laughs> so, you know, we, we left there thinking, I have no idea if this guy can hit. But, and he was at the time switch hitting. He was, he was swinging from both sides of the plate, which was really not a thing. And, <laughs> not a good you know, idea. But the, the obvious, which was incredible athlete, a well above average runner, a, a, you could see in the moment an extreme defensive advantage in the outfield because he took the, the fly balls, he went into the gaps, he threw to every base. Unfortunately, he didn't get a lot of strikes to hit. And we went in with a lot, came out with a lot of questions about his bat. We loved the kid. That afternoon, uh, Tommy, Tim, and I went to dinner or, or lunch with Guillermo and his agent and, and a contingent of support group of his, you know, his posse. Sure. And, you know, we went, to a, we went to a Cuban restaurant just north of Miami, and it was, A, pretty awesome food. Uh, and, you know, Guillermo was, was terrific. You can see how engaged he was. And though he didn't at the time have a great grasp of the English language, it was pretty clear he understood what we were saying. Um, had a great trust in his eyes, had a great trust that, this, that he was wired the right way. And we stayed in contact with him. The original asking price we thought was exorbitant. And, and apparently so did the rest of the league. And what the result was that everybody else was effectively out of money. And we chose to give Guillermo the big league contract while you still could within the, the CBA. So because Guillermo was already 25 years old, we could sign him to a major league deal, put him on our 40-man roster, and then just option him, which is what we chose to do. We gave him a signing bonus, ballpark, about $500,000. And, uh, and he went off and, and played for us in Jackson. And immediately we found out, I oh, can hit a little bit. You know, he was, he was hitting about 300, 325 by, by two and a half months into the season, really a driving force for the generals in a, in a championship season. And then we moved him on to Tacoma and he didn't miss a beat. So, you know, it was a pretty quick pathway to get him here. And he's been a joy since we've had him. His, his energy level, his interaction with his teammates, he's, he's very few players you'll ever run across work harder than Guillermo. And, uh, and he's got a smile every day. And, and he is resilient as they come. And how long of a layoff did he have between just seeing pitches, right? From the time that he saw his first pitch, let's call it with Jackson, from his previous pitch live in a batter's box. I mean, it was a pretty lengthy layoff, wasn't it? Almost two years. Wow. 
almost two years. And then when he came into camp with us in 2016, there was a delay because we had to work through some paperwork, visa issues, etc. We got him into camp about the time where we were already playing games down in Peoria. And he was so far behind the rest, two years behind the rest right. of the crew in, in game rep. But he did a great job of catching up quickly. And, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Well, we'll be eager to see more of Guillermo out there in center field on a regular basis. And the guys, uh, Jerry, man, I don't know how they're not sucking some wind right now. This has been just a brutal schedule for the players, especially because of the doubleheader, the makeup game in Minneapolis, the day game yesterday following coming back. What have you made of a winning road trip for the ball club uh, in light of a, let's call it a less than ideal travel schedule, especially when you consider each of the Mariners' first three road trips have all been three city trips, as it's turned out? I... Thank heavens that we're getting close to to a home, favorable home schedule, which I think we're in now. But, you know, where the guys get to sleep in their own beds for a while. Four and three, I'll take any four and three road trip. You know, it's it's, at the end of the day, you win away from home, you're doing perfectly fine. You do that week after week and things start to pile up. Going from Seattle to Toronto uh, is by itself, it's it's not a simple trip. But then taking it through Detroit and then a pit stop in Minnesota for a makeup game. Playing a long, going through a two-plus-hour rain delay, playing a long game, coming home after what I think is a, a pretty crucial win to, to give yourself a winning record on that trip, and coming home somehow finding a way to beat the the Rangers in a in a game that frankly we didn't play very well, and and we made that comeback at the end, and and yesterday I think you saw at least this is what I'm telling myself, you saw in the ninth inning yesterday the result of of a tired team. We had a fresh starting pitcher who did a magnificent job in Christian Bergman. And then by the tail end of the game, you saw nine tired guys that just needed a day. And hopefully they had a chance to get a good night's sleep last night and they'll come back fresh today. Well, it's been pretty obvious that Gene Segura has somehow, it seems like at least, found some other gear that we've seen pretty high gears from Gene Segura. But he had the four steal game uh, not long ago. He just continues to hit. I mean, this is in a time where you really need – as much production as you can humanly get from Gene Segura, he seems to be giving it to you right now. You know, I don't know what, it, what his WPA was on Tuesday, but I know it was the best game I've seen him play as a member of the Mariners. The energy level, the the grit, that he, the, the, the stolen bases helped. But it's just, he sprayed the ball all over the yard, which is what Gene does. He can really hit. He, he is truly one of the best bad ball hitters I've ever been around. You can't throw it in a spot that he can't get a barrel on the ball. And and uh, the way he played defense on Tuesday night, the way he ran the bases, he looked like a guy with an edge. And, you know, it, frankly, it, it showed up again yesterday. On a, on a tough day for, for a bunch of tired guys, he was gritty. And, you know, Gene's been a good player since the day he stepped on the field. I think he's been a very good player since the day he, he joined the Mariners. And what I'm looking at is a guy who's particularly close with Robinson, who came in on Tuesday probably had an added edge that we hadn't seen from him. Uh, he's Gene's usually a low flyer, doesn't say much, generally pretty quiet, goes about his business, sprays around his hits, and you know I've, I've referenced him before. He's the hit collector. That's right. And uh, you know Gene Gene the hit collector, and 
Uh, oh, now Riz is going to have problems with that. It's, yeah, it's he can make them. Wow, it's the hitting, should I go hit collector to counter the hitting machine that Rico I, puts out there? It would make me feel better. I mean, it's GM so. authorized, right? So there's something. I there could, go. I've got that on right then. I'll rubber stamp. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, Gene's been great. And and I think the, the guy we've seen the last two days has been exceptional. And we're going to need that. We're going to need guys to step up and do things. You know, frankly, there's a couple other guys in the lineup that we've seen step up over these last two weeks. And, you know, Ryan Healy, Stan out among them these I mean Ryan has been raking and it's been it's been notable because the, the home runs are not scraping the wall and the the exit velocities are are notable so it's uh and I think the the first base defense the ninth inning of, of yesterday's game aside has been exceptional so you know we are seeing some players step up and we're going to need more of it it's going to take every one of those guys does Gene get overlooked sometimes do you think because of the abilities in this lineup and particularly the guys that he is typically sandwiched around? I think he gets overlooked. And I'm not sure it's because of the guys he's sandwiched around in our lineup. I think it's because of the shortstops in the game today. There, I mean, the Correas, the Lindors, there, there are so many great players, great young players playing shortstop in the big leagues today that it's easy to look past Gene Segura. And then you realize, well, wait a minute. This guy is, this guy is a, a, on our hitting scale about a 70 hitter. He's, he's an above-average runner who's one of the more impactful base runners in the, in the league. He's played, he's played every bit of an average-to-average-plus shortstop. He's got a hose. You, every time Gene goes down on the ground, you can see how strong his arm is, his ability to make a throw, even from the six hole on, a, on, a, on his knees. It's, it's pretty incredible. And while he's not going to drive a high walk rate, Gene puts about any type of pitch, any type of location against any type of quality of pitcher on the other side in play. And he gives himself a chance. And as a result, he drives in tough runs. He's been, he's been very steady over the course of the last three years or so. And, uh, and he's been really steady since he joined the Mariners. One thing I've wanted to ask you about for a little while now concerns Mitch Hanniger. And I made mention of this, I guess at this point, Jerry, might have been over a week ago. But Blow and I were talking about this. I don't know if there's another player in your lineup that more consistently, when we see the tracer, will he take a pitch, I mean, a quarter of an inch below the knees and just spit on it. I mean, his ability to not go more times than not, not go after that pitch that's just beneath, take it, and it, lo and behold, is a ball. I mean, to me, for a guy who really has, let's face it, about 162 games in his career in the major leagues, facing major league pitching, it's pretty remarkable. Has that been something that has stood out to you? It, it does stand out to me, and that's part of Mitch's background. You know, historically, he has been exceptional in his ability to control the strike zone, and he makes good swing decisions is, is what we, how we reference them. He makes good swing decisions with not just 162 games-ish of major league experience, but 162 seemingly moving parts that get him loaded to go hit, yet his head stays still. His head is always on on plane. He's got the ability to identify a ball from a strike. And I think that's why you've seen such a such a steady growth from Mitch is because he knows what to swing at and what he can handle. He knows his own swing. You know, he's had a little bit of a drought homer-wise. But I, we talked the, the, on the last episode, he wasn't going to hit 75 homers. Right. So at some point, it was gonna, he was going to find his water level. And now I think you'll see he's, he's getting on base. He's taking his walks. He's finding his hits. He's maintaining a mid-900s OPS. I think Mitch is doing what exceptional star-type players do. And, you know, he's not going to hit a home run every day. But he knows where the strike zone is. And, and that, 
you, you see what Scott's done. Nelson went down, Mitch hit fourth. Robbie goes down, Mitch hits third. My guess is D. Gordon goes down, Mitch is leading <laughs> up. I mean, it's a, it's a, Mitch is a good solution for us because you're always going to get a quality at bat. What did you make of the four-man outfield against Kyle Seeger? Stunning. Uh, I thought it was stunning. Minnesota Twins innovators. Uh, you know, it, it was gallowish. Yeah. Uh, it was gallowish. I've, I've, I've heard the, the reference to the cul-de-sac. Uh, I, mean, which, so, I mean, some brilliant people have called that. Yeah, no. it's a, I think it's brilliant. It's a, it, he, somehow he hit it down the, the other alley <laughs> the other day on the oppo homer. But, you know, I, I, think, I think with the, the Kyle Seeger four-man outfield, I was sh- shocked when I saw it. I, there's, but what it did, and you can you could physically see this watching the game. It absolutely changed Kyle's approach in that at bat. And I think when teams are doing that, when they're swinging their field around, part of the the advantage is that they're changing the psychology of the hitter. Part of why you you, you swing four guys into the outfield or create the cul-de-sac is you're trying to get in the head of the guy in the batter's box to take him away from what his greatest strength is. Because frankly, if Kyle Seeger or Joey Gallo decide they want to hit a ground ball to the six hole and take a single, most teams are going to be okay with that. You know, there's I, I've I've referenced it as ah, you know where he's at. <laughs> you know, when they hit him over the fence, that's a more complicated thing. And you know, I was surprised with Kyle because he's not normally associated with that kind of extreme. Or, you know, frankly, the Joey Gallowish type power that you're trying to avoid exposing one side of the field. So I, I was blown away by it. I thought it was remarkable that he spent the entire at bat trying to, let's call it, Ichiro them. You know, he's trying to fillet it to left. And, and, uh, and they, they, so they achieved what they wanted. And he was just unfortunate enough to hit a seed right at the only guy standing on the left side of the field. He par- appeared uh, fairly frustrated by that as we went to break and the cameras caught Kyle's face. I think that's right. (laughs) Well, I couldn't, you know, of all teams, not that I have intimate knowledge as to Paul Molitor's level of shifting, but uh, I would would think that Paul would be a little more old school, although they do shift, obviously, but the Twins would not be on my short list of teams that I would suspect to see do that against Kyle. Well, and and ordinarily or historically, I would agree with you. You know, the, the the Minnesota Twins for decades were kind of proudly wore the you know the the on base isn't isn't really about us. We're athletic. We're going to get in the box. We're going to we're going to let them swing type thing, and they were wildly successful doing it with the Tory Hunters and the, like the, that crew of players. And you know, lo and behold, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine uh, came to Minnesota last year. They brought with them a lot of new theory, a lot of philosophy that they have applied, and they have a they have a member of their coaching staff who I believe he handles first base and and monitors the defensive setup and, and shifting is Jeff Pickler, who I had the pleasure of working with when he first started in the the front office scouting coaching ranks in Arizona, and Jeff Pickler is is magnificent in being able to discern the information and more than willing to push the envelope. So as we saw, yeah, when I saw the four outfielders, I thought, ah, that that pick, he's got it. But, <laughs> you know, he's it's they are uh, they're a lot more innovative than than maybe past Twins teams have been, and I suspect we're just seeing them scratch the surface. Well, Jerry, we'll get to some listener questions. Uh, this is from Jonathan, who first of all wants to say, Jerry, how much he enjoys the podcast. Now, how about this? He is a Rockies fan in New York. This, these are like my people. Yeah, yeah I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah. So this is. Uh, he probably appreciated you telling about the 
the memory wall outside the bullpen at Coors Field, which apparently has since been destroyed, sadly. Uh, but big fan of the podcast, obviously, and it makes his commute uh, much easier, which I would imagine in New York he has quite the commute. Uh, but he's curious, Jerry, about ballpark promotions. Now, we've seen some beauties already this year. Obviously, we know you're a big fan of the Paxton Fanny Pack. Uh, he was wondering your favorite or weirdest, Jerry, promotional item during your time in baseball. So as an executive, as a player, is there anything stand out that you remember the most? Well, you know, remember that during most of my playing career, the giveaways were more, you know, the the miniature bat or, you know, ball day. Now we're seeing Now we're going to give away the Felix bobblehead with real grass. How about that? You know, God bless Camden <laughs> Finney. That's right. But, but but I think the that one stands out to me. I'm really looking forward to it. When I was in Anaheim, we gave away a Mike Trout fish hat. Well, you know, I have one of those in my home still. I don't know why you wouldn't. It's beautiful. You know, it is. Uh, they went over. I mean, they 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 sold hand over fist. We're selling those out of uh, out of the shop after they were a giveaway because there was so, it was so fortunate. For those who haven't seen it, by the way, it's a it's a regular trucker's cap with like a red bill on it, and out of the forehead part, there's literally a trout's head. That is sticking out. Uh, very three dimensional hat. I, whatever very. that cost for the Angels to make, it was worth every penny. I, I think it was, and, and I think it has proven over time to be that. Uh, I, I think the giveaways are fun. You know, the the one that I enjoyed most was I happened to be in Cincinnati uh, as this. I was a player at the time, playing for the Rockies. We were in Cincinnati on Pete Harnish Bobblehead Day. Who, as you may or may not know, is one of a close friend of mine. He actually works in our system. Well, very successful major league career. Uh, quick little side note about Pete: for five years in the early '90s, the single hardest player pitcher to hit off of in baseball, uh, and a guy who threw four seam fastballs up in the zone, wildly successful. Uh, sidebar. Anyway, Pete, they gave away Pete Harnish bobblehead dolls, and, and I had to have one, you know, because I wanted to make fun of him with, with the, <laughs> the image in the bobblehead. And uh, so I got the bobblehead. He he happened to – he and I went out to dinner that night, and I, and I brought the bobblehead out. And, and I said, I said, I need you to sign the bobblehead for me and write a message. I won't share with you the message on open air. Uh, although this is – This is not regulated <laughs> by anyone, Jerry. Yeah. yeah O'Keefe a, regulates this. I mean, a, what is that? There's, right? I, there's, I'm going I'm to hold this one in, but uh, but I will tell you that the signature did not appear on the front side of the bobblehead, <laughs> but rather on the back. So you know, it's a, I, I do have that was one of my my most cherished possessions on on my desktop for years was a a Pete Harnish bobblehead. With did a, you have it rear facing? On oh, I had it rear facing. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it was ample. But that, that was that was my favorite personally. But I'm really looking forward to the to the grassy knoll around Felix. That is that does look nice. That's coming up. Uh, this is a question from Scott, who is kind of looking around the state of the American League, Jerry. And, hey, there are some powerhouses right now that are brewing in the American League. And he notes that hey, there are a number of teams that look like they could be 100-win teams, certainly 95-plus win teams. With that in mind, when do you, as a general manager in the American League, when do you start looking on the calendar as to when you might pull the trigger on a move or two? We know that you are not shy of making moves, and we know that you've already alluded to the fact that there could be moves at some point between now and the end of the season. Yesterday. <laughs> I, I, do, I do think that's a – you know, I'm, I'm generally wired to think that way anyway. I We are an aggressive group. We are looking forward, and we want to be in this thing throughout. We know we're going to need some help. And we know we're going to need to augment our pitching staff 
most importantly. But we have been tapping on doors for more than a couple of weeks now. And my understanding and conversation with some teams around the rest of the league is there is a little bit of a separation right now in, in the American League especially. There are teams that are running away, and, and there are a few of them. And there are teams that are maybe trapped at the bottom. And the let's call it the market that generally opens after the June draft. A little factoid for you. After the June draft, so mid-June, is generally when the, the phone calls and the, the interaction club to club starts to pick up. That is already starting. So this is in advance, well in advance of the June draft. We're already aware that the lights are on in the market and you know the doors may not be unlocked yet, but I don't think it's going to take too much to maybe jimmy that door open and, and figure out a way to make something happen before mid-June. Speaking of the draft, I mean, we are in mid-May. How much has this already started to ramp up for you and the guys? This week will, in an otherwise distracted and disappointing week, this week has featured our first series of regional meetings where each of our scouts comes in, presents their players, uh, and goes through them in some degree of detail. We've we've covered three of the four regions that we, we've I, I guess separated in the country. They're down there right now as as we go through this this wheelhouse. I'll be down there with them again tomorrow, and uh, you learn a lot about particularly about guys that might go in the middle of the draft. Everybody's familiar with the names and the skills of the guys at the top of the draft, but these meetings are super valuable for starting to understand the guys that might go in the eighth to twelfth round. That can really make a difference for you and where your primary objective is to draft makeup oriented or character oriented players because. In my opinion, that's who makes it. Well, we are, we'll be very excited to talk more draft stuff as the uh, calendar flips over to the month of June. Uh, but, you know, Jerry, as we kind of look to the rest of the homestand, Friday night, Paxton no-hitter celebration, special price tickets, mariners.com slash Paxton. They'll be giving out a placard suitable for framing and a pregame ceremony. Jerry, I'm guessing you might be involved with that pregame ceremony. I definitely am. I, I've, I've already put aside my, my sport coat. <laughs> yeah, that's now, it. Did you know... I've never, I've never talked to you about this. There was a sport coat, and now Keith doesn't have a microphone, but he knows where I'm going with this. There was a sport coat. You wore the same sport coat for, like, consecutive press conferences, player press conferences possibly for signings. It was a larger checked sport coat, Jerry. That I'm I, very familiar with You this. know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I don't think there's ever been a GM sport coat that got as much run uh, over the course of a two-week period of time than that one. So I think... I haven't seen it in a while, Jerry, and I think you're just to mess with some people. You got to break that out more often. Oh, I break it out frequently. Really? Yeah. Yes. Maybe it was you, a, not, you need to break it out when Ben Van Houten, Mariners team photographer, is there. Because if oh, Ben's not there, it's not worth wearing. It gets it, it, it. It's actually one of the most one of the most notable sport coats that I have. I will break it out. The players seem to really dig it. You know, I'll there get you it, I'll get I'll get positive comments on it throughout. I've uh, I've opted to to I guess limit the use because it is a no- noticeable sport coat. So well, you don't want to make it seem yeah. you don't want to make it yeah. t- seem like you're wearing it every day. <laughs> Cuz it looks like last time I saw him he was wearing that. Instead exactly. of well, instead of like the standard blues and, right. and blacks Every now and then, you got to break out something All bold. Right. Well, you know, Friday night, maybe a good chance. Uh, King's Court will be in session as well, uh, which is always good stuff. Mariners.com slash Felix. It is blanket hoodie night for the first 10,000 fans. Jerry, we're excited to see you in one of those. And we were just talking about Felix Fernandez infield grass bobblehead night. That is Saturday against the Tigers, 20,000 fans. The first 20,000 fans take that home courtesy of KeyBank. And uh, Sunday is both Little League Day and Second Chance Mother's Day. 
All kids 14 and under Gene Secura wristbands, uh, thanks to Aquafina. And I got to say this, you know, moms will take home a Mariner's tote courtesy of EQC. And I must say, every time we give away a tote of some kind, uh, my wife Heather is all over that. And we use we use those babies all the time. Those are quality totes that we give out. We take them to the market. Uh, take oh, good move. Yeah, yeah. That's Put it. Your, uh, now, how do we say it? Is it emu eggs? Am I saying this correctly? You can emu. I, I did receive the, the, the email interaction yeah. from... From our friend in Australia. It is an emu. Emu egg. Okay. How many of those do you think you could put in a Mariner's Toe too before that thing, that bottom goes out? <laughs> well, you got to remember, I'm, I'm fairly weak. So it, 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 there's only so many I can carry regardless. But. Well, Jerry, good stuff as always, man. This has been a fun wheelhouse, and I'm sure we'll be catching up sometime soon. All right. I really appreciate it.